Hebrew scripture takes us right into the middle of the story of Jonah. You know, the story of the prophet who was thrown into the belly of the big fish, or what we might say, into the belly of the whale. But these verses from chapter 3, they don't make a whole lot of sense without the rest of the story. It's not a long story, and it's a good story, so why not tell the whole thing? And don't worry, I'll tell you when we get to the verses for today. One day, the word of God came to Jonah. The word of God, the word of Yahweh, the God of Israel, came to Jonah, a prophet of Israel. And Yahweh says to Jonah, arise, go, and cry out to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is a foreign city. It's a big city. It's got about 120,000 people in it. And it's actually the capital of a big empire. It is an enemy city. The word of God comes to Jonah, a prophet of this tiny Israel, and God says, Arise, go, cry out to Nineveh because their wickedness has come before me. So Jonah arises and he goes to Tarshish. He goes to Tarshish just as far away from Nineveh as he can get. Are you kidding me? You want me to go where and say what? And now Tarshish is a far, is a good piece away, so he has to go, it's over the sea, he has to go and get on a boat. And he goes and gets on a ship to get as far away from Nineveh as he can. But God's not going to make it easy, so God sends a storm. And the storm rocks this little ship, and all the sailors are scared to death. They believe they are all going to die. So they all start praying to all of their different gods, hoping that one of them will answer and take And then the sailors start to throw the cargo over the ship. It's almost like they're trying to appease the angry gods of the sea. And down in the bowels of the ship, there's Jonah asleep. And so the captain goes down and wakes Jonah up and says, Wake up. There's this big storm, and we're all praying to our God, so you need to get up and pray to your God. So Jonah goes up on deck, and just as he gets there, the sailors are casting lots. They're casting lots to find out whose fault this storm is. And guess what? The lot falls on Jonah. And they all turn to Jonah, and they say, What have you done? To make your God so angry. And Jonah tells him the whole story. How God has called, how Yahweh has called him to go to the town of Nineveh. And how he has said no and run. And he looks to them and says, you know, we'd all be better off if you would just throw me overboard and end this now. And you know what? They don't do that. The sailors don't want to do that, so they do everything they can to not have to throw this man overboard. They all go to the oars and they start rowing as hard as they can to get to shore, and the storm only gets worse. So they all pray, and this time they all pray to Yahweh, to Jonah's God, and they say, Yahweh, please don't let us perish. And don't let us be responsible for the shedding of innocent blood. For you are God. And the storm gets worse. And so as a last resort, 
they throw Jonah overboard, and the storm stops. But now here's poor Jonah floundering around in the sea. And the story says that God sends a big fish who swallows Jonah, and Jonah lives in the belly of the fish for three days. Now that gives Jonah some time to think. (laughs) So Jonah sits in the belly of the whale, and he starts to pray, and he actually comes up with a song that he can sing to God. And oh, does he sing to God. God, you have thrown me into the waters, and the waters have come over my head. But I, I have remembered you. I have remembered that you are God. I have remembered all the times that I went to the temple, and all the ways that I have seen sung your praise. And then the psalm ends with this, deliverance belongs to the Lord. At which point... The story says that God spoke to the big fish and had the big fish vomit Jonah up onto the shore. Now, I imagine there are all manner and shape of deliverance. Um, Phyllis Tribble says that God delivered the big fish from the undigestible burden that he was carrying. And now we come to today's scripture. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Jonah's just been vomited out of the fish's mouth and is on the shore. The word of Yahweh came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out to it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of God. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from that violence that is in their hands. Who knows? Who knows? God may relent and change God's mind. God may turn from fierce anger so that we do not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways. God changed God's mind. God changed God's mind about the calamity that God had said would come upon them, and God did not do it. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among and in us. Thanks be to God. God changed God's mind. Now, the Hebrew word translated here as change your mind also has an element of compassion to it. It's both having compassion and changing your mind. I think a better translation might be God had compassion and changed God's mind or God changed God's mind out of compassion. And you know what? Jonah just can't stand it. I knew it. 
I knew it. I knew you would send me to proclaim destruction to the city of Nineveh. And at the last minute, you would change your mind. You'd have compassion. After everything I said to those people, why don't you just kill me now? And Jonah stomped out of the city of Nineveh and went and sat on a hill and looked back to see what, if anything, would happen to the city of Nineveh. And nothing did. And Jonah sat. And he sat. And he roasted in the hot sun. And he burned in his anger. And then at night... God sent a vine that grew up so that in the morning it sheltered Jonah and gave him shade. Now Jonah kind of liked that. And then the vine died. And Jonah sat there again in the scorching hot sun and burned again in his rage. And God came to Jonah and sat with Jonah and said, Jonah, does it do any good to be so angry? You have so much compassion for this vine that you didn't grow and you didn't work for. Shouldn't I have compassion for 120,000 people and for all of their animals? Shouldn't I have compassion? And the story of Jonah ends with that question. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. Jonah gets so many things wrong in this story. And usually we come to the story and we pick out one to talk about. We could talk about how Jonah runs from his calling, how he runs from God, um, because what God requires just seems to be too big. We could talk about how Jonah cowers in the belly of the boat when things get rough, or how he sits in the belly of the big fish and tries to think up songs and prayers that will get God to do what Jonah wants God to do. Or we could talk about Jonah grudgingly stomping across Nineveh, barking out God's message. Or we could talk about his petulance, because that's rich. Jonah sulking in the hot sun. I knew it. I knew you'd go soft on them. Well, you're not going to have good old Jonah to push around anymore. So many things that Jonah gets wrong, but here's what I think undergirds them all. Jonah has a messed up idea of who God is. From the very start, Jonah sees God as this vengeful, angry, all-powerful, unreasonable, and capricious deity. God can do what God wants, and so God does what God wants. It's usually violent, but sometimes it's randomly relenting. Who can follow an angry, unpredictable God like that? And so Jonah runs and explains, just kill me now, and burns with anger, and throws a class A tantrum when God changes God's mind, when God shows compassion, where, God ha- where Jonah has just proclaimed God's destruction. Jonah has a messed up view of God. And out of that view of God, he lives a life that is not healthy for him and not healthy for anyone. Now, it's not just Jonah. In this old, old story told out of an ancient world, I think we experience something like that in our own culture, in our own day. In American culture, there is this predominant view of God Whether folks are Christian or not, this predominant view of God revolves around a God of heaven and of hell. 
God is up there somewhere watching and waiting, watching everything we do, watching and waiting to make the call. And good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And sometimes St. Peter and the pearly gates are involved. Think about it. It's all over popular culture. There's even a TV sitcom now called The Good Place about heaven and hell, about good people and bad people. Now, you know, Presbyterians don't believe that, right? I need to see you nod your heads. You know, Presbyterians do not believe that. We profess and lean into a God of grace, a God who loves us no matter what, a God who loves us beyond who we are, beyond anything we've done, beyond the worst things we've done, right? It is by grace that you have been saved, by faith, and this not from ourselves so that no one can boast. Now, even though Presbyterians and most Protestants profess this God of grace, this angry, good and evil, heaven and hell God still sneaks in there. There are many Christians out there who believe that I am going straight to hell because I am gay. A lot of us who are LGBTQ plus and Christian have had family and friends say to us with the best intentions, they have said to us that they are concerned for our salvation. As if God's love and salvation depend on who we are, or who we love, or how we love. And it's not just limited to the conservative branches of Christianity. We progressives, in our justice zeal, can start believing that God isn't only setting the world right, but that God is bringing down and destroying the evildoers we oppose. And sometimes we're not very nice. I'm sure you are. Maybe that's just me. (laughs) And this image, it even seeps into the very basic questions of life. At one time or another, we've probably encountered great suffering, tragedy, and asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Now, there's a good question in there. It's a human question. I actually think that question makes us human. But think about it. Implicit in the way that that particular question is phrased is the sense that bad things happen to bad people. And good things happen to good people. That's the way we think the world works. It's the way we think God works. When really our question is, why do bad things happen? Period. Why do people suffer? Anyone. There's this family of writers, the Lynn family, who've written a book. It's called Good Goats, Healing Our Image of God. And they say that our prevalent image of God is too often and for far too long what they call an old Uncle George image of God. Maybe you know him. God is imaged as an old, white-haired man, like old Uncle George, who is lurking around watching everything we do. Old Uncle George, God knows everything and sees everything, and he's just waiting to catch us doing something wrong, and then to punish us as immediately and as severely as he can. And here's the thing. The Lynn suggests that then, in every aspect of our lives, we start to become 
like the God that we image and adore and worship. If we image a God who is lurking around every corner just waiting to cry gotcha and then to clobber us, then we are likely to start doing the same. We're likely to be constantly looking for flaws and faults, too, in each other and in ourselves in a rather unforgiving way. On a broader scale, if we imagine a God who is willing to throw millions of people into a fiery, hellish inferno, we might be more willing to hail down nuclear weapons on a city we see as the enemy. Or we might be willing to let the tinderbox of the Middle East explode in some apocalyptic inferno. It's dangerous stuff. What we need, the lens offer, is to heal our image of God. To find the God revealed in Scripture who is more loving than we could ever imagine. God who created us in love, every one of us. Who forgives our every wrong. Who frees us from every oppression. Who brings us home from every exile. Who saves us from everything that can do us harm. What we need is to come to a place where we know, as the Lynn say, that God loves us as le- at least as much as the person who loves us the most. I'd say it this way. Whatever we are thinking of God right now, whatever we're thinking, whatever you're thinking of God right now, God always loves us more. This is what's happening in this morning's scripture. In chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Jonah, Jonah and the writer of the story have given us just about every negative image of God. God is a God who announces the destruction of cities and the slaughter of peoples, vindication and vengeance against the evil. God is a God who torments poor prophets with impossible tasks and then hunts them down. God hurls violent storms that threaten ships at sea with everyone within them. God is a God who punishes the wicked. God is a God whose justice must be satisfied with the sacrifice of human life. But then, but then, In in these verses in chapter 3, we see a God different than that. And the people of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh see it first, this foreign to Israel people. Who knows, they say. Who knows but God might experience compassion and change God's mind. And so they repent, whatever it is they have done. And God has compassion and changes God's mind. But that doesn't fit with the image of God that Jonah has. I knew it. And Jonah sulks. And God says to Jonah, shouldn't I have compassion on 120,000 people and all those animals? Shouldn't I love them at least that much? Whatever our image of God, God always loves us more. Whatever we are thinking of God right now, we are always being invited to change our mind. God always loves us more. On any given day, our image of God is always going to be too small. We are human, 
And we'll never have all the words we need to understand and to express fully how high and wide and broad and long is the love of God for us and for all people. But every day, God invites us to experience more, more of the love of God and to change our mind and to embody God's love as much, as much, as much as ever we can and to begin again the next day. And so I just want to offer those five words to you. God always loves us more. To carry into the week with you as a touchstone prayer, as a holy reminder to say whenever and as often as you need, God always loves us more. So here's to Jonah. Here's to Jonah running from his calling and fleeing God, cowering in the bowels of a ship at sea, trying to sway God with sweet psalms from the belly of a whale. Here's to Jonah stomping across Nineveh, just ticked off that God has put him in this position. And here's to Jonah who burns with anger when God is not who Jonah thinks God should be, when God has compassion and changes God's mind. Here's to Jonah pouting petulantly in the hot desert sun until a vine grows up and gives him shade and burning with anger all over again when he has to continue his snit out in the hot sun. Here's to Jonah. He's one of us. And here's to God. Here's to God who accompanies and cares for Jonah every moment of this story. Here's to God who calms the sea and who shelters Jonah in the belly of the whale. Here's to God who stands in the midst of the people of Nineveh and is moved by compassion and changes God's own mind. Here's to God who seeks Jonah out and shelters Jonah and says to Jonah, Oh, Jonah, what good does it do to be so angry? Shouldn't I have compassion on 120,000 people and all their animals, not just because they repent, but just because? Just because they are human beings. Just because the animals are my creatures too. Each and every one of them created and loved by me. Here's to God who invites Jonah to change his mind too. Whatever you are thinking about God, right here, right now, God always loves us more. And let's sing ourselves into that truth by singing hymn number 435, There is a Wideness in God's Mercy.